0: Chapter Thirty of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lever. Chapter Thirty: The Life They Led at NASA it was with no small astonishment young massey heard that he and his faithful follower were not alone restored to liberty but that an order of his highness had assigned them a residence in a portion of the palace and a promise of future employment this smacks of turkish rather than of european rule said the youth in prison yesterday in a palace to-day my own fortunes are wayward enough heaven knows not to require any additional ingredient of uncertainty What well, thank you trainer i'm thinking," said billy gravely that as the beasts of the field are guided by their instincts to objects that suit their natures so man ought by his reason to be able to pilot himself in difficulties choosin this avoidin that seeing by the eye of prophecy where a road would lead him and making of what seem the accidents of life stepping stones to fortune in what way does your theory apply here cried the other how am i to guess whither this current may carry me at all events there's no use wastin' your strength by swimming against it rejoined billy to be the slave of some despot's whim the tool of a caprice that may elevate me to-day and to-morrow sentence me to the gallows the object i have set before myself in life is to be independent is this then the road to it you trying to be what no man ever was or will be to the world's end then said billy sure it's the very nature and essence of our life here below that we are dependent one on the other for kindness, for affection, for material help in time of difficulty, for counsel in time of doubt. The rich man and the poor one have their mutual dependencies, and if it wasn't so, cold-hearted and selfish as the world is, it would be five hundred times worse. "'You mistake my meaning,' said Massey sternly, "'as you often do.' to read me a lesson on a text of your own when i spoke of independence i meant freedom from the serfdom of another's charity i would that my life here at least should be of my own procuring i get mine from you said trainer calmly and never felt myself a slave on that account forgive me my dear kind friend i could hate myself if i gave you a moment's pain this temper of mind does not improve by time. There's one way to conquer it. Don't be brooding on what's within. Don't be magnifying your evil fortunes to your own heart till ye come to think the world all little and yourself all great. Go out to your daily labor, whatever it be, with a stout spirit to do your best and a thankful, grateful heart that you are able to do it. Never let it out of your mind that if there's many a one you're inferior, winnin' his way up to fame and fortune before you, there's just as many better than you toilin' away unseen and unnoticed, wearin' out genius in a garret, and carryin' off a godlike intellect to an obscure grave. You talk to me as though my crying sin were an overweening vanity," said the youth half angrily well it's one of them said billy and the blunt frankness of the avowal threw the boy into a fit of laughing you certainly do not intend to spoil me billy said he still laughing why would i do what so many is ready to do for nothing what does the crowd that praise the work of a young man of genius care where are they're leading him to It's like people callin' out to a strong swimmer. Go out farther and farther, out to the open, say, where the waves is rollin' big and the billows is roughest. That's worthy of you and your strong might and your stout limbs. Lave the still water and the shallows to the weak and the puny. Your course is on the mountain wave over the bottomless ocean. It's little they think if he's ever to get back again it is their boast and their pride that they said go on and when his cold corpse comes washed to the shore all they have is a word of derision and scorn for one who ventured beyond his powers how you cool down one's ardor with what pleasure you check every impulse that nerves one's heart for high daring said the youth bitterly these eternal warnings these never-ending forebodings of failure are sorry stimulants to energy isn't better for you to have all your reverses at the hands of a creature as humble as me said billy while the tears glistened in his eyes what good am i except for this in a moment the boy's arms were round him while he cried out there forgive me once more AND LET ME TRY IF I CANNOT AMEND A TEMPER THAT ANY BUT YOURSELF HAD GROWN WEARY OF CORRECTING. I'LL WORK, I'LL LABOR, I'LL SUBMIT, I'LL ACCEPT THE DAILY RUBS OF LIFE, AS OTHERS TAKE THEM, AND YOU SHALL BE SATISFIED WITH ME. WE SHALL GO BACK TO ALL OUR OLD PURSUITS, MY DEAR BILLY. I'LL JOIN ALL YOUR ecstasies OVER ESCALES and believe as much as I can of Herodotus to please you. You shall lead me to all the wonders of the stars and dazzle me with the brightness of visions that my intellect is lost in. And in revenge, I only ask that you should sit with me in the studio and read to me some of those songs of Horace that move the heart like old wine. Shall I own to you what it is which sways me thus uncertainly? JARRING EVERY CORD OF MY EXISTENCE, MAKING LIFE A SEA OF STORMY CONFLICT? SHALL I TELL YOU? HE GRASPED THE OTHER'S HAND WITH BOTH HIS OWN AS HE SPOKE, AND WHILE HIS LIPS QUIVERED IN STRONG EMOTION, WENT ON. IT IS THIS, THEN, I CANNOT FORGET, DO ALL THAT I WILL, I CANNOT ROOT OUT OF MY HEART WHAT I ONCE BELIEVED MYSELF TO BE. You know what I mean. Well, there it is still, like the sense of a wrong or foul injustice, as though I had been robbed and cheated of what never was mine. This contrast between the life my earliest hopes had pictured and that which I am destined to never leaves me. All your teachings, and I have seen how devotedly you have addressed yourself to this lesson, have not eradicated from my nature the proud instincts that guided my childhood often and often have you warmed my blood by thoughts of a triumph to be achieved by me hereafter how men should recognize me as a genius and elevate me to honors and rewards and yet would i barter such success ten thousand times told for an hour of that high station that comes by birth alone independent of all effort the heirloom of deeds chronicled centuries back whose actors have been dust for ages that is real pride cried he enthusiastically and no alloy of the petty vanity that mingles with the sense of a personal triumph trainer hung his head heavily as the youth spoke and a gloomy melancholy settled on his features the sad conviction came home to him of all his counsels being fruitless all his teachings in vain and as the boy sat wrapped in a wild dreamy reverie of ancestral greatness the humble peasant brooded darkly over the troubles such a temperament might evoke it is agreed then cried massy suddenly that we are to accept of this great man's bounty, live under his roof, and eat his bread. Well, I accede, as well his as another's. Have you seen the home they destined for us? Yes, it's a real paradise, and in a garden that would beat Adams now, exclaimed Trainer, for there's marble fountains and statues and temples and grottos in it, and it's as big as a prairie and as wild as a wilderness, and, better than all, there's a little pathway leads to a private stair that goes up into the library of the palace, a spot nobody ever enters, and where you may study the whole day long without hearing a footstep. All the books is there that ever was written, and manuscripts without end besides, and the minister says I'm to have my own k and go in and out whenever i plays and if there's anything wantin', says he just order it on a slip of paper and send it to me and you'll have it at once when i asked if i ought to speak to the librarian himself he only laughed and said that's me but i'm never there take my word for it doctor you'll have the place to yourself he spoke truly Billy Traynor had it, indeed, to himself. There the gray dawn of morning and the last shadows of evening ever found him, seated in one of those deep cell-like recesses of the windows, the table, the seats, the very floor littered with volumes which, reveling in the luxury of wealth, he had accumulated around him. His greedy avidity for knowledge knew no bounds. THE MISER'S THIRST FOR GOLD WAS WEAK IN COMPARISON WITH THAT INTENSE CRAVING THAT SEIZED UPON HIM. HISTORIANS, CRITICS, SATIRISTS, POETS, DRAMATISTS, METAPHYSICIANS NEVER CAME AMISS TO A MIND BENT ON ACQUIRING. THE LIFE HE LED WAS LIKE THE REALIZATION OF A GLORIOUS DREAM, THE CALM REPOSE, THE PERFECT STILLNESS OF THE SPOT, the boundless stores that lay about him the growing sense of power as day by day his intellect expanded new vistas opened themselves before him and new and unproved sources of pleasure sprang up in his nature the never-ending variety gave a zest too to his labors that averted all weariness and at last he divided his time ingeniously alternating grave and difficult subjects with lighter topics, making, as he said to himself, Aristophanes digest Plato. And what of young Massey all this while? His life was a dream, too, but of another and very different kind. Visions of a glorious future alternated with sad and depressing thoughts, high darings, and hopeless views of what lay before him came and went and went and came again the duke who had just taken his departure for some watering place in germany gave him an order for certain statues the models for which were to be ready by his return at least in that sketchy state of which clay is even more susceptible than canvas the young artist chafed and fretted under the restraint of an assigned task it was gall to his haughty nature to be told that his genius should accept dictation and his fancy be fettered by the suggestions of another if he tried to combat this rebellious spirit and addressed himself steadily to labor he found that his imagination grew sluggish and his mind uncreative the sense of servitude oppressed him and though he essayed to subdue himself to the condition of a humble artist the old pride still rankled in his heart and spirited him to a haughty resistance his days thus passed over in vain attempts to work or still more unprofitable lethargy he lounged through the deserted garden or lay half-dreamily in the long deep grass listening to the cicada or watching the emerald-backed lizards as they lay basking in the sun he drank in all the soft voluptuous influences of a climate which steeps the senses in a luxurious stupor making the commonest existence a toil but giving to mere indolence all the zest of a rich enjoyment sometimes he wandered into the library and noiselessly drew nigh the spot where billy sat deeply busied in his books he would gaze silently half curiously at the poor fellow and then steal noiselessly away pondering on the blessings of that poor peasant's nature and wondering what in his own organization had denied him the calm happiness of this humble man's life End of chapter thirty